0: Hello everyone. Welcome to the first episode of Coindesk's Bitcoin Having 2020 podcast series. On this episode, I'm joined by Ethan Vera, Head of Finance at Luxor Technologies. Luxor Technologies operates North America's largest cryptocurrency mining pool with over 11,000 customers globally. Also joining us is Coindesk news editor Wolfie Zhao. Wolfie is a veteran member of the Coindesk editorial team, having joined since June 2017. He specializes in coverage of the cryptocurrency mining industry in China and other parts of Asia. As I understand, Ethan and Rolfi, both of you guys have met each other before. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, We had the pleasure of meeting uh, back in Chengdu in, I guess, October 2019 at the Miner Update Conference.
2: Yeah.
0: Well, it's great to have you two on the show. Both of you are experts on this topic of cryptocurrency mining, and in just a few more months, mining on the world's largest cryptocurrency by market cap, Bitcoin, will change drastically with the halving event. For our listeners who are hearing this term for the first time, the halving is a 50% reduction in the Bitcoin network's block subsidy rewards. It's a once-every-four-year event. Ethan, what, if anything, do you think makes this upcoming halving different from the ones preceding it?
1: I think this halving is going to be really interesting to follow. And it's going to set precedent for not only Bitcoin, but all other proof of work uh, networks in the future. So uh, really interesting to follow it. What really sets it apart is two things. One, um, how widely followed it is. So the last halving that happened was in 2016. Back then, there wasn't, just, there wasn't as big of a mining community as well as Bitcoin community. So this is going to have an impact on a lot more people. And then second is the dynamics of the mining industry. We see a lot more players now. Back in 2016, it was a very simple industry with just a few players. And now the entire dynamics change. So very interesting to see this one.
0: Interesting. Given that there's different participants going into the having this time around, Wolfie, I'm curious, do you agree with that? Do you think that one of the main reasons why this having is perhaps different from the ones preceding it is due to the participants this time around and the people watching the event?
2: Yeah, I definitely agree because I think 2019 saw a really significant growth of the interest in mining, especially from more institutions. And the investment into mining has been consolidating over the years. And most of all, like 2019 was a big year because back in 2016, I think uh, the scenario was very different. You will see more like, retailers, um, individuals who are into mining. But now we're seeing like more companies and more institutionalized money because the entry barrier is, has become much higher than it was four years ago. For one reason, the ASIC mining equipment has become much more expensive. So you need to have more money into this and you need a more robust system to through the risks.
0: That's a really good point. So around how much does an ASIC miner that would actually show Bitcoin miners a profit. How much does that normally cost nowadays,
2: Wolfie? So I think most of the people, they, they will talk about the price, not exactly per unit of the ASIC mining equipment. Rather, they will talk about like how much price you pay per terahash. So, I mean, if you have a machine, like maybe 80 terahash per second of the computing power, it can, it's going to be much more expensive than the s Nice, which is like around 13 terahash. But in terms of the uh, to payback period, people focus more on the actual price you have to pay per terahash.
0: Gotcha. It's more about terahashes than it is about the actual machine.
2: Yes. So I think from most of the products in the markets, it's between $20 to $30 per terahash.
0: Wow. So Ethan, is that similar to the figures and statistics that you're seeing on your end at Luxor Mining Pool? I'm also curious to know how big of a role electricity costs play in that calculation of it costing, you know, 20 to $30 per terahash.
1: That cost is in line. I mean, you can see the costs on the manufacturer's website, but then also there's robust secondhand markets both in China, uh, mostly in Shenzhen, and then there's as well as some in North America too. In terms of electricity costs, that's a factor that comes into the price that people are willing to pay for a machine like Wolfie alluded to, people mainly want to look at what's the ROI potential of their machine. So factoring in electricity is a huge component of that.
0: And are we seeing any kind of geographical distribution of miners based on low electricity costs around the world? As I understand, most Bitcoin miners have historically been concentrated in China. Is that also changing around the time of the having this year? Or would you guys say that it's still pretty similar in terms of geographical distribution?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Uh, miners look for the cheapest areas of electricity. Mining is an incredibly difficult game. So getting a few cents off your electricity power makes a huge difference to your operations. And sometimes it means uh, you know, saving your operations in downtimes like the ones we have now. So in terms of geographic distribution, it has predominantly been in China. So around 65%, I would say, of the production of hash rate is in China right now. With the having coming up, we have seen some of that hash rate turn to even lower cost regions like uh, Venezuela or Iran, but nothing I would say too significant yet.
0: Any factors that might change that dynamic?
1: I think we will start to see a larger shift of mining outside of China. Um, start with like the CIS countries right now. Uh, we're starting to see a lot of hash rate move to countries like Kazakhstan and Iran. They have quite cheap power there and and very uh, friendly mining regulations currently. Uh, in terms of movement towards North America, I think there are a few reasons why we will see a shift uh, moving forward. I don't think it'll be very significant in the near term, but uh, there are some long-term dynamics that will make that shift uh, more attractive for miners.
0: Wolfie, would you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think it has. So the Hessian power has been traditionally concentrated in China because of another factor, which is the proximity to the ASIC manufacturers, almost all the global uh, manufacturers that produce ASIC mining machines are Chinese companies, uh, at least like a, a really large percentage of the market. So being inside of China has the advantage of getting the machines as opposed to you know overseas companies, they have to wait until the shipment arrives. That will take extra time and they will, like, for example, if you ship from China to U.S., you have to also pay like 25% tariff. So that has always been given advantage to miners based in China because all it takes is just domestic shipping.
0: I didn't know that there was a 25% tariff on these machines going from China to the U.S.
2: I haven't followed the, the latest news on the tariff, but I think at some point it, there, there was a 20, 25% and tax on that. Wow, interesting.
1: To my understanding that that still exists, um, there are ways manufacturers can get around that. So they could set up like subsidies in potentially Hong Kong or Thailand. Right. But directly coming from China, there is still that 25% tax.
0: Gotcha. And Ethan, on the side, because um, obviously the mining pool that Luxor operates, is operated from Seattle, um, correct? I mean, in in North America. I'm wondering, have you been seeing North American miners already kind of lagging behind the hash rate and the hash power of Chinese-based miners who possibly get these machines and cutting-edge level equipment much faster?
1: Yeah, I would definitely agree with Wolfie here. It's been a huge factor in the reason that Chinese mining has done so well uh, over the past few years. I think there are a couple factors that are changing right now. First is the lifespan of these ASICs. So before ASICs used to go out of uh, business in around six months, uh, You know the Bitmain S3 to the S5 barely lasted six months because the chip technology was just moving so quickly. But now they're having longer lifespans uh, as we saw with the S9. So getting your hands on a machine and plugging it in with the first few weeks has less waiting uh, now than it used to. So that should benefit North American miners. The second, which uh, Wolfie also covers a lot, is the ASIC manufacturers. A lot of them are trying to access public markets. They were going to go for Hong Kong, it seemed like, but Hong Kong has pretty strict uh, listing requirements. So a lot of them are looking at New York as a potential listing um, avenue. And then as part of that, they really need to expand their international sales. So uh, that's, that's a requirement from a lot of the investors uh, internationally. So they're really looking to expand their sales into North America now.
0: Wow, that'll definitely be a trend, something to look out for. And I remember the last time that we spoke, Ethan, you had highlighted this nuance when talking about Bitcoin mining, distinguishing between the actual Bitcoin miners and then the mining pools that are aggregating minor computational power, which is also called hash power. What trends are you seeing on both those levels in lead up to the halving? And what trends do you expect to either strengthen or emerge after the may halving?
1: So the distinction that we're discussing was between the production of hash rate and the management. Uh, Often people kind of confuse the two or just merge them to one. Uh, The production of hash rate is actual miners just producing that hash rate. It's what we often talk about a lot, and what we talked about earlier about you know sixty five percent being in China and so on. So in terms of those trends towards having, I think we're seeing a lot of the machines that have lower efficiency and are a bit older moving to lower cost regions. Uh, but we also know that there's going to be a huge impact to those once the actual halving does occur. In terms of the management, um, there hasn't been a big shift this year so far. And I'm not sure if there will be uh after the halving. Basically that there's a few large uh Bitcoin pools, uh, pool in, F2 pool, and then the bitmain pools. They still control and manage a majority of the hash rate. And I don't foresee that changing after the halving.
0: Wolfie, do you have any ideas on what factors might change the distribution of management of hash power? Or would you agree that those probably won't change for the foreseeable future?
2: I think the status quo is going to remain pretty much the same. Um, But I I also think, compared to four years ago, there has been generally more mining pools than before because, uh, I mean, a little more people wanted to... um, just, just open up the software and manage the, uh, the hash rate for miners. Because this is like a chicken egg problem. You get big and then you get more miners to join your pool. And then you get bigger than that. So I think once you reach that status quo, it's kind of hard to disrupt the ranking. But I also think like pooling did a very interesting job because they came out from 2017 and they quickly became the largest Bitcoin mining pool so um, maybe it could be changed in the coming two or three years about the entire mining pool dynamics, but who knows?
0: I'm glad that you brought up because Poolin is a very interesting case study. How is it that Poolin did get to the size it is now as a mining pool? What factors do you think really helped spur their success, Wolfie?
2: So, you know, the founding members of Pooling, they were former Bitmain employees and they founded btc.com and then they left and they started their own thing and Bitmain even sued them for that. Oh. So they got into the business and I think the first of all, they understand the products, they understand the markets and so they develop product that is pretty user-friendly to the miners and they, they have been really active in hosting events, uh, talking to customers, hosting a lot of offline events, online events across China. The other thing is um, their relationship with different manufacturers. So, you know, the, the M pool and BDC.com, they are like B-man's pools. And, you know, in 2019, Man's market dominance in terms of ASIC sales has declined, whereas some other competitors have grown up. Um, those mining pools have been working very closely with pooling and also F2 pool. So the growth of that um, ASIC part of the market has also contributed to the growth of pooling as the management of the hash pool.
0: Interesting. Any parallels you see to that explanation, Ethan, coming out from Luxor's growth and your guys's kind of rise to becoming the biggest North American mining pool?
1: Yeah, uh, the parallels I draw is just that th- there usually needs to be an underlying industry trend uh, in order for hash rate to turn hands. Um, Oftentimes that comes in the form of new ASICs coming onto the market. Uh, When there's existing ASICs or it's called GPUs, people usually just plug them in and then leave them and are are not changing pools. But once those machines get plugged in uh, for the first time, that's when usually they decide which pool to use and they're thinking through the process a bit more. Um, So in regards to pool and capturing a lot of the market share, like Wolfie said, uh, that's mainly due to all these new non-Bitmain ASICs coming onto the market and being able to capture that new hash rate. Hmm. The same trends exist for Luxor um, from a Bitcoin perspective, but also altcoins. We found that the largest times of hash rate change have been when new ASICs came onto the market. So with that in regard... um, As new ASICs come online in North America, we think that's an opportunity that people are going to start looking at, you know, North American-based pool options.
0: I really like talking about miner mentality and how miners generally decide how to pick a pool and, and what they're thinking of in lead up to that's having. And I would be remiss if I didn't mention the events of global affairs, and that is the outbreak of the coronavirus. Two weeks ago, Bitcoin's price had dropped so suddenly and, and so majorly it had affected and it impacted so many other cryptocurrencies in the market as well. How do you think miners are responding to this sudden drop in price that was unforeseen, I would say, and then looking forward to another fifty percent programmed drop in mining rewards at in lead up to the halving? I know there's a lot of arguments to say because the halving is something that is already programmed, already scheduled, miners aren't Going to be too surprised by this, but given the events of two weeks ago where the price had dropped already so considerably, what kind of impact do we think this is having on miners?
2: There is a big hash rate drop since two two weeks ago. And what's the impact on miners? It's a lot of miners who cannot generate the profits anymore. They could just, you may have just choose to shut down. If you have already upgraded your facilities to the latest machines that have a much more powerful computing power with less um, electricity cost, you will still be able to make profits. It's just less than you would have made without the price crash. So it's just it means a longer payback period, that's all. We do have seen a pretty significant drop of the hash rate. And subsequently, the mining difficulty is going to adjust um, in three days, I think or maybe less than three days, and it's going to drop pretty significantly too, which is good news for some of the others who, have, who are still uh, playing, staying around because uh, less uh, smaller mining difficulty would mean they could theoretically mine more coins if they continue to operate.
0: Right. Less competition out there, especially too, if more miners are dropping off, right? Yeah. Ethan, anything to add there?
1: Yeah, uh, the difficulty is expected to decrease 15%. So like Wolfie said, there there is a big drop off there. I'll quickly go through like my methodology on how I look at the halving. Basic principle is that miners mine when it's profitable for them to do so. So there is a pain threshold that I'd estimate to be around 5% for various things like locked in hosting contracts, uh, maintaining power commitments, or even a belief in a quick turnaround. But for the most part, miners are profit driven. With that in consideration, the amount of hash rate online will entirely depend on the value of hash rate. That's a really interesting calculation, and it's circular by nature. You cannot calculate it by hand. It needs to be done on a more advanced program. And the reason is, is because the amount of hash rate depends on the value of hash rate, but the value of hash rate depends on the amount of hash rate. And so you can build these types of models out in Excel. That's like common practice in almost any market. So let's take the recent oil drop, for example. The price of oil just crashed, which means that some of the producers are going offline. That decrease in supply then puts upward pressure on the price, which then brings some producers back into the game, increasing supply. And you can kind of see how it goes in circles there.
0: If there's a drop in hash power and potentially further reason for more hash power to drop off after the halving, what kind of impacts do you suspect um, that will have on the network? I know we just talked about network difficulty going down. Any other impacts to the network uh, we can discuss on that topic?
1: Yeah, so the short-term impact will be a drop in hash rate and then subsequent uh, a drop in difficulty. I'm expecting around a 30 exahash drop of hash rate right now, given current BTC levels of 6k as well as 100 exahash on the network. In terms of like broader implications, I think for the most part, uh, the network will still be secure. So in May 2019, just under a year ago, uh, the network was around 45 eggs hash. And no one was really questioning the security of the network at that time. So I don't think a, a big drop off in hash rate is actually gonna be a security concern for Bitcoin. I think the larger impact will be that a lot of miners are about to get burned financially. Miners have been some of the best community members for Bitcoin over the past few years. They've invested real capital, real time into it as well as they've contributed a lot in the form of holding conferences and meetups. So having a lot of these members burn financially and then maybe leaving the Bitcoin community is going to be a big negative for Bitcoin overall.
0: To your point, Ethan, of just the negative consequence to the Bitcoin community, um, in the long run of these miners dropping off, what do we see as a potential way to keep these miners still in the community and what benefits do we think that would bring to the mining industry as a whole as well?
1: Yeah, I think like you described, uh, the market factors will determine who makes money and who doesn't, and there's no real way to get around that. Uh, I think there are quite a few tools that are still lacking for miners to properly hedge their their risk, so I'm hoping to see more financialization around hash rate moving forward so that some of these miners can take a more long-term approach, properly hedge their risk. Similar how do they do in any other industry. And then they don't have to take such you know, long-term positions on their machines. Uh, they don't have to hold you know, a long-term view on the value of hash rate over their, their ASIC period, which is you know, can be 24 to 36 months.
0: Mm, the financialization of hash rate, I think, is a really interesting topic. Are we already seeing some of that perhaps in the most advanced uh, and concentrated area where mining occurs? Wolfie, do you know if miners in China already have started to mature in this way to hedge their risks and to stay in the game even when prices are just in freefall?
2: There are all financial services that offer you know, crypto-based loans that give them some reason to weather through the market when there was a relatively small volatility. But when something like the price crash that happened two weeks ago, that kind of gives them more pressure on their cash flow. But in terms of other methods, I think there are more kind of services in China that can bring a greater level of liquidity of the hash rate, meaning they don't just do cloud uh, contracts. So there are companies that they own and operate a, a mining farm with a lot of machines and you can purchase the hash rate. You can sell the hash rate, you can purchase the hash rate. And if you want, you can even say you have bought 80 terahash and that equals to one unit of Bitmain's ASIC miner. And if you want, you can even take out that unit of machine. So the kind of the way it operates like aggregated um, retailers, putting them into a large institution because the entry barrier for individual miners is getting really high. So they're kind of aggregating everybody and give them the liquidity when they want to exit. So they don't have to wave and have an f- actual farm sitting there uh, as a long-term assets. So it gives them more, more liquidity to stay in the game. Those
0: are really interesting examples of the increasing financialization of this space. Ethan, is Luxor Technologies working on any similar products um, to potentially help miners hedge their risks?
1: I think this is an area where there's a large difference between uh, East and West. So to my understanding in China, a lot of the miners don't really want to hedge their risk. They still want to take a long-term view on Bitcoin and the value of hash rate. In fact, they're actually going the opposite. They're, they're leveraging up their operations, uh, like Wolfie alluded to. Whereas in the West, a lot of these uh, players are... From traditional backgrounds, they're used to actually hedging the underlying commodity in which they produce. So I think we'll start to see the adoption of um, those types of financial instruments in North America uh, before we see it in the East. I think that right now, there's still not a lot of great tools available. Uh, You're starting to see some miners hedge uh, Bitcoin itself, but that's only really one part of their equation as a miner. So uh, there needs to still be better tools built out for them to hedge.
0: That's actually a, a really good distinction between we talk about minor mentality as a whole, but minor mentality in different parts of the world will differ and be nuanced in different ways. We know that the halving is coming up in just a couple months. And in recent weeks, there have been so many different global events that have impacted miners and, of course, the crypto community more broadly. What is one thing that you guys are keeping an eye on? outside of the halving that you think will impact the effects of this halving.
2: The one thing I have been quite curious about is how many new ASICs that major manufacturers can deliver to the market. If you really look at the halving that happened in 2016, right after that, or I think around that time, that was when BIMIN rolled out the M-S9. And that was a huge success. And that model has been through almost entire mining cycle. So I think the delivery of the latest, the most powerful machines to the market is kind of one of the most crucial factors that people should be paying attention to. Because just like S9, they're going to be lasting the coming cycle for the coming next few years. The amount of that machine that can be produced and delivered to the market is also critical to the network hash rate in general.
0: Do you know how many have already been sent out, Wolfie?
2: So we have seen uh, several hundred thousands of the S nines and what's matter M twenties, but we're not seeing like any sizable delivery of the latest model, which is the M what's matter M thirty and and Beeman's M minor S nineteen. I think
0: definitely something to watch out for. Then, Ethan.
1: Yeah, the one thing not talked a lot in light of the having is around how do you manage your hash rate better? So miners have been really focusing on the production of hash rate. They're finding ways to get cheaper machines, uh, build out better, deploy ASIC management software, use interesting technologies like cooling systems. Uh, But there haven't really been a lot of talk around the management of hash rate. Once you've actually produced it, how do you get the most amount of value for that hash rate? So I think we're gonna start to see miners really start to look at this as a way to make a few extra percentage uh, on their operations, which will be especially important uh, when the block reward decreases by half. Right now, miners kind of just point at a single pool at a single coin, but I think miners are going to get a lot more sophisticated in deciding which chains to mine, um, how to best sell their hash rate. So I'm looking forward to miners really uh, looking at that in the near term.
0: Especially with the Bitcoin cash having, is it a couple of weeks before the Bitcoin having, Ethan?
1: Yeah, I think it's targeted for about 3 to 4 weeks. So Bitcoin Cash, BSV are both having uh basically around 2-3 exahash from those networks will jump over to Bitcoin network and then they'll probably jump back once Bitcoin has. So that'll be interesting to follow. Uh we can see uh, a having right before the Bitcoin having.
0: Totally. Well, those are a lot of things to look out for. And I'm glad that we had covered so much ground in this podcast episode. Thank you guys so much, uh, Ethan and Wolfie, for joining me today to discuss the impact of Bitcoin having on miners. And for everyone listening, you can follow these two on Twitter. Ethan's handle is at Ethan underscore Vera. And Wolfie's handle is just his full name. No space. I'm Christine Kim, a research analyst for CoinDesk. For more research-related crypto insights on the upcoming Bitcoin halving, be sure to follow our Coindesk Research Twitter handle. It's at Data. The Coindesk Research team is soon going to be releasing a full-length 101 report on everything you could possibly want to know about the Bitcoin halving. So please do stay tuned to our Twitter channel where we'll tweet out when the halving report drops. I'll also be hosting more podcast episodes in the weeks to come on the upcoming halving. With more industry experts. So, do check back regularly on the Coindesk website, coindesk.com, to check out new podcast episodes. Thanks everyone for listening and talk to you guys next time.